Welcome to the Wonder Years podcast, where we discuss principles and practices of nurturing a quiet growing time for children in the early years. In the midst of life's duties and delights, we can cultivate a richly humane life of truth, goodness, and beauty that feeds even the littlest of souls. I am your host, Amanda Foss, and together with my co-host, Brooke Johnson, we invite you to join us as we talk about how to craft homes that lead our children from wonder to worship to wisdom to work for the glory of God and the good of mankind. Let us make the education of the youths our own education and go further up and further in together. Have regular hours for work and play. Make each day both useful and pleasant. And prove that you understand the worth of time by employing it well. Then youth will be delightful. Old age will bring few regrets. And life a beautiful success. Marmy and Little Women. Good day and welcome to another episode of the Wonder Years podcast. Today, Amanda and I are going to be talking about one of our favorite topics, becoming a mother of virtue. Amanda, how are you? Here we are, episode two. It is episode two, but in my mind, it was episode one, because from the moment we talked about this podcast, this was the episode that we were both like, it starts with the mom. It starts when you want to talk about the little years, when you want to talk about motherhood, as difficult as it is and as convicting as it is, it really does begin with us as moms. Um, But that's actually a beautiful thing, right? Because we're creating this human life that we talked about in the last episode. We are persons, our children are born persons, and we have this incredible opportunity to bring our children into life with us. Uh, And so what we're really hoping to do today is to capture your imagination with a vision for the good life as a mother. Modern motherhood, things that you see online, even just what I think most of us naturally come into being shaped by modernity is that we think that motherhood is this like coming down to the baby's level like oh i have a baby now so now i need to like decorate a playroom with really hideous aesthetics and i need to watch like little baby bum shows or something and but i'm gonna be happy about it because i'm a good mom and i'm gonna just enjoy it because i really love my baby and so out of my love for my baby i'll enjoy all these somewhat lame things and yet classical education the great tradition provides this other way, this, dare I say, better way of you as a mother, as a human being, crafting this rich life, this beautiful life that you then bring your child into. So one of the things that helps me when I think about this is that we give big truths to grow into, not little truths to grow out of. And that was something truly someone told my husband and I at the beginning of our parenting journey that really helped shape my motherhood as I moved forward thinking, what are ways in which I can, just what you said, call and bring my children up to this very humanizing way of life. And one of the ways that I just talk to myself over and over is by saying that very little thing. I want to um, give them big truths, big ideas to grow up into and not little ones that they will just grow out of, you know, going back to some of those things that are very typical in modern mothers and motherhood, at least what you see through scrolling on Instagram a lot of time, is this idea of just um, really unexciting and um, things that I think we think in the moment are helpful, but really end up being um, hurtful in the long run. 
yeah, it's like doing color flashcards when they're two. Like, you know, there's just these like very artificial ways that we think we can, you know, out of necessity, oh, this is how I have to teach my child to be a good mom. And yet there's such a richer way, right? That as we create this rich and wonderful life, we can bring our children into it. And then suddenly you'll be shocked. You never had to teach them colors. They just know it because you were talking to them all the time. <laughs> but, you know, when I think about this episode, the mom I have in mind is really myself from five years ago, because I don't know about you, Brooke, but I really didn't have a vision for what the early years were supposed to be until my oldest was probably four or five. Like up until that point, I was just kind of like, you know, thinking, oh, I need to like create a bunch of sensory bins, or I need to like sit here and teach her her letters and how to outline everything. And just really trying to do school with her at like two, three, four years old. And part of that I think was just from that place of, I loved her. I wanted to inspire her. I wanted to teach her and I didn't know what else to do. And so there was just a lot of things that now I laugh because it's like just something that was very artificial. It wasn't very fun necessarily for me, but again, I just was like trying to do the right thing. Uh, and so it comes down to, I want to give the gift to hopefully some younger moms that, hey, like, let's paint this vision now for you so that you can learn these things and implement them with your baby, with your one-year-old, your two-year-old, your five-year-old. Um, and at the same time, I say that if you're an older mom listening and you're like us who maybe did come into this knowledge a little bit later, that's okay. You know, I was listening to some older moms talk recently and they made an observation about oldest children and how often oldest children have a somewhat prolonged childhood compared to a youngest child who tends to have to grow up quicker with their older siblings. And they were just talking about what a gift it is to have your older child really slow down and savor childhood and grow up with your little kids. And yes, it could look like, oh, it's stunting their maturity, but really in a positive sense, you're getting to linger with them in these really precious years that none of us will ever get back. And also hopefully make up for some of the lack of knowledge we might've had when they were our first one, you know, our first little toddler running around in a diaper. So that's a beautiful idea. I don't think I've thought about that when considering my oldest, because in a lot of ways we think, you know, they have maybe the opposite. They are getting more because, you know, they're your first as you're like moving through all of this and you're looking back at your younger ones saying like, oh, it's very, their life now is, looks very different. But really having that view of like, there's, because like today there was an example where now my oldest who is now reading was reading to his younger brother, you know, just on his own. He grabbed the book sat down, started to read to him. And that is something that was just, just like so sweet that you get to see. And just like you said, just to even still be a part of, and, you know, now as we're all still reading aloud and all of that, it just now, you know, you have like a helper in that way of like, you know, they're still being read to now it's just a brother's voice and mom's voice, you know, yeah. doing read alouds and stuff. But that's a beautiful thought from man, older moms, they are such it. a help. I know. You know, I cannot wait till we get to have some older moms on this podcast because I'm yes. like, let's just give them a voice because they have yes. so much wisdom to share. Um, which, you know, speaking of which, uh, we wanted to clarify as we begin this episode about becoming a virtuous woman, that we are not claiming to be some perfect standard of moral excellence. As much as we would love to be and we long to get there, we are very much coming from a place of aware of our awareness of our own insufficiencies, aware of how disordered we can often be. We're going to talk about being an ordered person today, about ordering yourself with the cardinal virtues, which I'm going to get into, get into in just a second. Um, but to order your body, your mind, your heart, 
And yet, even as I prepared this podcast, the amount of conviction I felt over how often I fall short in these areas uh, was very strong. And so just know that we are coming at you not as over you, but as in this walk with you. I love, Brooke, you always say, right, you're in good company because you are, like we are with you, we are in this. Um, Something I love about studying the great tradition is that it brings us low, it humbles us, it makes us aware of how disordered we are. And yet at the same time, it's not commiserating, right? It's not just sinking in misery of, oh, I'm just so terrible. I'm never going to be better. There's no hope for me. Or isn't motherhood just a, a drag? You're like, no, it's not that at all. It's this vision of, okay, yes, here are all these ways that I fall short, right? <laughs> like scripture talks about, right? We all fall short of the glory of God. And yet because of Christ, because of his healing power, we have hope. And so it is in standing on the promises of our Lord and Savior that we can go forward with joy, knowing that, yes, however many ways I fall short, there is hope for us. And the gift of the great tradition is that we also have hope from the side of we can learn from those who have gone before us. We don't have to craft lives from scratch, right? We're not having to just come up with these things on our own, figure it out as we go. We can actually look to the great thinkers of the past, the church fathers, wise people, and see, okay, how do we do this? How am I a faithful mother? How do I raise my children? And so with that said, you know, the image that comes to mind, I've heard this before used for evangelism, but it feels very much like this when it comes to the great tradition for me, is that I am just one beggar telling other beggars where to find bread, right? Um, I heard this phrase this week that it was ideological almsgiving, right? To give the ideas like as, as a gift, as this gift. And that is what we are seeking to do. We are seeking to merely give the bread that has nourished and fed us so much. Okay. So today we're going to be talking about the cardinal virtues. Now cardinal is from the Latin cardinalis, which means hinge. And the reason for that is because these are the four virtues that basically all the other virtues hinge on. Right. So if you can have these four virtues, which are prudence, justice, fortitude and temperance, that basically all the other virtues would flow from them. Uh, So virtue really is actually a very interesting word because it comes from the Latin root vir, which is to be a man. And so it means to become a fully developed human being developed in human and moral excellence. And really, that's what we want as mothers, right, to be fully developed human beings, to be fully developed mothers who are setting a model and example to our children of moral excellence in every area of life. But can I just pause you for a second and say, I am seven years into being a mom and I'm not sure I have read one motherhood book that has talked about these virtues in this way. And so when we were thinking of this episode and creating, you know, this outline, reading through this even just reminded me of how in so many ways modern motherhood has failed Mm -hmm. us in that this is just such a big idea but also such a whole idea that this is not the typical um, teaching that moms today are receiving that just like you said that these if these virtues are the hinge which everything else is going to flow from This would be very helpful for moms in the early days of motherhood. And yet, you know, here I am seven years in and it has been, you know, all these years later that I'm coming to learn, you know, these very, um, I want to say simple in the way of like just simple biblical truths that are very helpful for your Monday morning, your Tuesday at the dinner table, 
but is just missing largely in the conversation. That's so true. And as you say that, yeah, I mean, I don't think before encountering the classical tradition, I ever heard people even talk about virtue. I think I associated it probably before that with like a legalistic kind of mentality, like, oh, like virtue, like you must be somebody who thinks you have to work hard to please God. Like, and I don't even know why I would have thought that, but it was through coming to the classical tradition and reading the, the writings for myself that I realized, oh no, like this is about becoming who God made us to be. Like God has designed us to be made in his image, to honor him with that image, to glorify him with every part of us. And the way we do that is by living virtuous lives. You know, I think of in John where he talks about, you know, if you want to abide in his love, you obey his commandments, right? And really that's where we're headed with all this is, this is about abiding in the love of God. This is about becoming who he he has made you to be in a way that takes the eyes off of ourselves and puts it on God first in serving others. Uh, Mm. So the first one, prudence, is the mother of all virtues. And as I give you the definition of this, I have to say, this probably does not sound like what you, you're going to, you would naturally think of when you hear the word prudence, right? Um, it sounds very uptight when you say, oh, well, I need to be prudent, right? We think prudish, um, but that's not what this word <laughs> is connected to at all. What it's connected to is very simply acting in accordance with reality. It's to see the world for how it really is and to live in harmony with that reality. You know, uh, that is a very foundational basic place to start, but you know, I think this is where we have a lot of issues today, even in Christianity, where we all turn into sub, you know, subjective, what is the word I'm looking for? We all turn into relativists when it comes to anything outside the moral law of God, right? Like we just suddenly are like, oh, whatever works for you, it's fine. And yet this is why having things like an educational philosophy is so important because at the end of the day, there is only one reality as God has determined it, right? And so when we talk about principles and practices, like you mentioned, as you talked about last week, Brooke, these are opportunities to say, how has God made the world? How has God made people? Is this principle or this action, this way of living, is this in harmony with God, with what God has revealed in scripture? And prudence is the part of you that asks that question, right? That part of you that wants to know, is this in keeping with, with what God has said? Uh, and then if it is, well, I want to act in accordance with that reality. The second one, the second cardinal virtue is justice. And that is to do one's duty towards man. Historically, there was a symbol for justice and it was the scale, right? It was a scale with two equal weights on both sides. And that was because it was an acknowledgement that there is a balance in the world. There is a proper order of things. And this divine ordering comes with obligations, right? And so in a just more basic sense, right? You cannot steal from your neighbor. That would be unjust, right? But really this extends much further than even something like that into just our basic duties, right? That you cannot neglect your children, right? You have a duty towards them by virtue of being their mother. And you don't have to have a commandment to know that that is a duty that you are given from the moment that baby is put in your arms. Uh, so the question we can ask whenever we're considering justice is what is my duty in this situation or towards this person? The third cardinal virtue is fortitude, which is courage, a readiness to suffer or even to die, which of course just immediately makes me think of Matthew 16, where he says, if anyone desires to follow me, let him deny himself, pick up his cross and follow me, right? This is the Christian life, right? We are called from the moment of our conversion Or if you're like me, you were born in a Christian home, you were born into hearing from day one, your life is not your own, 
you have been called to die. And yet in that death is a resurrected life. So there's hope. Mm -hmm. This is a beautiful reality. And yet, of course, on the human side, it can be very difficult and very hard because we don't like to suffer. We don't like hardship and we don't like pain. And yet I think to me, that is one of the most beautiful parts of motherhood is that motherhood essentially forces you to take a road of suffering that is full of so much beauty that is undeniable and yet can be very difficult in many ways. And through that, this, this ability to, this virtue of fortitude is being built out in us as we are taught to be brave, to you know, stiff upper lip, push through a hard moment, to have courage, lean on Jesus and trust that he is working good to us as we learn to do hard things. So the question we can think about with that is what does it look like to lay down my life in this area? right? Uh, there's a great quote from Joseph Pieper from his book, Four Cardinal, Four Cardinal Virtues, where he says, fortitude presupposes vulnerability. Without vulnerability, there is no possibility of fortitude. An angel cannot be brave because he is not vulnerable. To be brave actually means to be able to suffer injury. Because man is by nature vulnerable, he can be brave. And what is more vulnerable than motherhood, right? Like motherhood takes your heart out of your body and puts it in another person. Like it is so vulnerable. And yet I hope we can see that with that vulnerability comes this incredible opportunity for fortitude, for courage, for laying down our life, um, you know, sowing our life as a seed and reaping so many blessings. The fourth and final cardinal virtue is temperance. And again, this is not what we're going to think of when you hear this definition. This is not going to sound like anything you would think of if somebody said, oh, be temperate. You're going to think, oh, I need to be cautious. I need to be careful. Yeah. Uh, that's not what this word meant historically. Historically, it meant to bring something as a part into its proper place. So to take disharmony and make it harmonious with the whole of yourself. And so I think we kind of like stumble upon the meeting when you think of like to be temperate with say food, right, would be to eat the right amount of food, right? Don't eat too much, don't gourmandize, but don't eat too little, don't starve yourself, right? The, a temperate relationship to food would be to eat as much as you need and then stop, right? This is temperance because you're understanding the part and the place of this thing within the whole of your life, within the whole of yourself. Uh, so that's just one example. You know, because of the fall, we are divided from God, from ourselves, from the cosmos, and yet it's in the incarnation uh, and our union with Christ, that the division begins to be healed. Temperance is the way by which we seek to be rightly ordered towards God, to be rightly ordered in ourselves, and to be rightly ordered towards the world. And the beautiful result of that is serenity um, that comes from that healing. So the fourth question we can consider from that cardinal virtue is, how ought this area of my life to be rightly ordered? And so the unifying principle of all four of these cardinal virtues is love. Um, that is what we are going to be coming back to. That is the focus of today, is this idea of the cardinal virtues fulfilled in a love of God and a love of man. And that is actually not something, though, that that connection is not one that we just made up on our own. Uh, St. Augustine actually has a great quote that I'm going to read, where he makes the same observation. He said, As to virtue leading us to a happy life, I hold virtue to be nothing else than perfect love of God. For the fourfold division of virtue, I regard as taken from four forms of love. For these four virtues, would that all felt their influence in their minds as they have their names in their mouths, I should have no hesitation in defining them. That temperance is love giving itself entirely to that which is loved. Fortitude is love readily bearing all things for the sake of the loved object. 
Justice is love serving only the loved object and therefore ruling rightly. Prudence is love distinguishing with sagacity between what hinders it and what helps it. The object of this love is not anything, but only God, the chief good, the highest wisdom, the perfect harmony. So we may express the definition thus, that temperance is love keeping itself entire and incorrupt for God. Fortitude is love bearing everything readily for the sake of God. Justice is love serving God only, and therefore ruling well all else as subject to man. Prudence is love making a right distinction between what helps it towards God and what might hinder it. Brooke, any thoughts? Well, I have several, but I'm thinking that, I mean, just those simple questions that you asked at the end of each of those virtues, I mean, that alone would be such a gift to a mom. So even having these printed out by your kitchen sink would be a huge help that in, you know, those moments of when you are just in the ordinary moments of your day, but you're kind of in the repetition of I wash dishes a bunch or I'm cleaning up a bunch and just have those where you can really work through and ask, like, how am I rightly ordered to this thing? And one of the things that it made me think of was um, this quote that has just been on repeat in my mind since I read from this book maybe a year ago. It's a book that now I hand out to everyone as soon as we start talking about, um, and we'll get into this a little bit more, but habits in particular, but this book is talking about spiritual formation and habits and the way in which he linked the spiritual formation discipleship, which I thought I had a good handle on, to be honest with you, because of whatever in my pride, I thought, okay, well, I've been a Christian this long and I've learned these things and I'm discipling my son. So I've got a handle on this. And then there was this habit, this doing over here that I wasn't really sure how they work together, but it was really through learning the classical tradition that brought them to what you said, harmony, where what I was doing was in turn doing something to me, that I wasn't just going about my day, making these decisions that were just kind of random or, you know, just kind of why I decided to do this today. And, and maybe they felt random, but the reality was, is that everything I was doing, even in order or not in order, that it was in a way a liturgy, so to speak, that it was doing something and shaping our home, myself, and certainly my children. And so the quote goes like this, if you are what you love, and if love is a virtue, then love is a habit. This means that our most fundamental orientation to the world, the longings and desires that orient us towards some version of the good life is shaped and configured by imitation and practice. This is important. This has important implications for how we approach Christian formation and discipleship. It is crucial for us to recognize that our ultimate loves, longings, desires, and cravings are learned. And because love is a habit, our hearts are calibrated through imitating and being immersed in practices that over time index our hearts to a certain end. So what I thought was super random, and I was just doing it because I was deciding to do it, and this would be a good thing to do with small children, that all of those things, whether I was being very um, intentional or not, because a lot of our inintent, like 
being unintentional in the things that we do and go about and we haven't really thought about or thought through that those things are also shaping not only you but your home and the people that live in it and it was that realization of just understanding this is way more connected than I have given thought to it is not just discipleship with these cute little flashcards over breakfast and we're just going to do a couple catechisms and then there we go like our boys are going to know all of these christian truths and traditions um, and i'm not saying that that's wrong those are things that i still do over breakfast but it was just this it was unharmonious i mean just what you said i i did not have a category to say this is a whole life and this is what i'm doing is doing something to us and the people in my home in return and if i'm not conscious of that and aware of that, that this is just how human beings live in God's world, then um, I'm, I'm probably going to instill some things that I don't want and I'll be unaware of it. I think you bring up a good point because what's easy to forget is that we are always loving something. Yeah, amen. We are always, you know, when you think of prudence, right, to, to respond to what is true and act accordingly, we're always responding to something. Right. We all have beliefs, even presuppositions, maybe even unexamined that are informing and shaping what we do every day. And so that's why taking this time to walk through these cardinal virtues now as we're getting ready to transition to take those four cardinal virtues and think about, well, what does this mean for my heart through the lens of ordered loves? Right. That these are all ways of expressing love to God and we get to love God with our heart, mind, soul, and strength, right? As the scriptures tell us. Uh, so Brooke, can you talk to us about ordering our hearts? So ordering our heart. So think about an ordered love means to love the good and hate what is bad. It's pretty simple, right? We think we can say that and think yes, but then when we really, it's that what we just mentioned, it's then when you actually see it in practice, then you're probably not always loving the good or hating the bad. You're doing the opposite of those. And so um, one of the things to think about and one of the truths is that divine goodness is the standard for what we ought to love. Everything created by God is good. First Timothy 4.4. Love is a relationship and this is even towards things. And so you mentioned this, Amanda, but asking the simple question, is a, is a good way to, you know, just kind of, if, if all of this is just sounding very heady as far as like, what prudence, virtue, heart, what's happening, something Augustine is really just going back to some of those questions and asking, how do I rightly relate to blank? What's a way that I rightly relate to the Bible, to nature, to God's world, to my family? to food, to all of those things. And so in ordering our hearts, we do have a duty. And this is something that I think we don't like very much. Um, as moderns, we do not like having someone ascribe to us something that we ought to do, right? We want to be the ones that say, I'll live the way I want to live. And so even having... Um, someone say, even God, that there's duties as being followers of him, that there are things that we do as a response to what has been done for us. Most people today do not like that. 
Well, it truly is the age of the expressive individual, because when you think about something, I think we, at least as Christians, we understand, okay, I have a duty to read my Bible. We're like, check, understand, okay, got it. But if I, but if we were to sit here and say, you have a duty to love nature, to love creation, Mm -hmm. like we then think as an expressive individual, well, I'm just not a camping person. I'm just not outdoorsy. And we Mm -hmm. make it as this like set in stone part of our personality as opposed to, right. well, maybe I don't love being outdoors, but maybe that's because there's a deficiency in me because the outdoors is full of God's creation and God loves that creation. And if I want, like you said, if I want to love what God loves, that his goodness is the standard for my love, then I have to acknowledge no matter how much I fail to love creation, that is because of a deficiency in me, not because of a deficiency in creation. And remember that that is actually not a fixed quality that I, I am capable of through exposure, changing my taste in this area. And that could be applied to anything really. Right. And the good news is that, um, when our hearts have been changed is that we have the ability to change, like we can grow. And I don't know anything more encouraging to a mom than that. Just to say that when we bump up against something that we don't like, that is part of our duty, that we have the ability to change. Not that that reality is going to change. And I think that that is just part of it is realizing that even if we don't feel like doing what our duty requires of us, we um, have a response to obey and that we can, and we can learn to grow um, by humility and grow to learn how to do those things with joy. And so one of the ways that we can do this, and we're going to frame this, and I love thinking about um, how to apply these things in this way, but we're going to think about the atmosphere. And we mentioned this in our last episode, exposure breeds taste. Amanda, I think you're the one who said that quote. Why? What is it about that that is helpful? I originally heard that from Brandy Bensel. Um, but it is just really a peg that has yeah. taken a place in my heart to understand how do I change? Because I think this is a topic that I've wondered about for a long time in terms of, well, how do I change what I love? Like, if yeah. I don't love something, if I don't enjoy it, if I don't find it pleasurable, like, how do you change your heart? Right? That really is a fundamental question, uh, fundamental question of the Christian faith is how are hearts changed? Um, and of course, first and foremost, they're changed by the Holy Spirit. But on a practical human level, this key of exposure breeds taste really opened my eyes to that's how you shape affections, right? Whether it's speaking about my own, right? Which as we're thinking about this as moms, right? We, we can see it so clearly for our children that there's things we want them to love and things that we don't want them to love. Now, if we let them spend all their time on the things we don't want them to love, we shouldn't be surprised when they love those things. And right. yet for us as moms, we might even guiltily so spend much of our time doing things or watching things or listening to things that we wish we didn't love, but we know we do love. Yeah. And just as much, we don't spend as much of our time doing those things that we wish we did love, but we know we don't. Mm -hmm. And yet this is not a hopeless situation because you can Mm -hmm. in fact reverse those things. There are many things that I know 10 years ago were of great pleasure to me that 10 years later, I can say, I honestly have no desire for because of this principle through a choosing to put those things off to even beginning from that mindset, like you said of, well, this is my duty. It's my duty not to watch those things. It is my duty to not 
participate in this form of whatever. And yet in the long run, I don't want it anymore. And God has changed those tastes and made it better. And so I just think there's such a beautiful redemption there to realize, like like you said, we're not done. You know, we're not, thank God we're not God, right? We're not fixed. We're not immutable. We can change. And so, but this is how, like you said, this is how through that regular exposure. And I think the Lord's kindness in that for, for a lot of moms, I think they enter motherhood maybe very clearly seeing their inadequacies or weaknesses or man, I wish, I don't know how many times I said, man, if I had just known all of these principles seven years ago, you know, it feels like I'm learning in real time when like, you know, for moms that, you know, just had a baby and they're finding um, these principles, you know, sometimes I can look at that and be like, that would have been so helpful. But then on the other way to think about that is that, you know, the good way is that it's it's never too late and there's no timetable of growth that we're on. Whereas, you know, even if our kids are past those years that we say are the wonder years, is that we're still a person and we're still growing and that as we are changing, the atmosphere of our home is going to change no matter how old our children are. And I think that that's... Um, really encouraging too. Cause sometimes you can, you know, be listening to something like this and just thinking, just be really sad that, you know, you're finding all of these things out and it just feels too late. And we just want to say what Amanda said in the beginning, that you're in good company, that we, there are so many things for Amanda and I that we would say, wow, if I had learned this earlier, then how, you know, my boys would have benefited or how my husband or how my home. And yet at the same time, um, I just believe in the Lord that he knows when we are exposed to these things and that we're in places where we can really change. Like there's going to be a desire in us to really do the work to then change it. Right. Like I'm at a place now where, um, yeah, I just, I know that I want to change. And like you were saying that like there are things 10 years ago where if I had read these things, it just, there would have been nothing to hold to hold it in and make me process. And so, um, but some of those life-giving ideas that we would say, or that have been helpful um, to us is reading scripture. I mean, that seems pretty basic, but it is something that as someone who is inside, um, my husband is a pastor, that this is something that is very difficult for people, for moms in particular in the early years, that maybe we didn't form those habits before children came and then children came and now you're up all through the night. It's crazy. There's no real schedule there at the beginning. And yet at the same time that this is something that foundationally will be rock solid (laughs) to your mothering. Well, and we're so blessed to live in a time where we have audio Bibles, like, you know, God, God, right after last, after the podcast last week, when I said how, Oh, you know, it's so great. My baby's sleeping through the night. Uh, my toddler turned around and went, oh, hold on, mom. Let's let's do 2 a.m. wakes up just for fun. Um, and that just really put me through a stretch of a good week of having that sleep yeah. deprivation, not getting the sleep I needed. And so the solution, though, was pretty simple. I was able to throw on, there's a podcast called Common Prayer Daily, and it's basically the book of common prayer. So it's scripture reading, it's prayer. And I just threw that on in the car, went and drove for 15 minutes, 20 minutes. The kids just sat in the car listening with me. And it was just, it was all I could do, but it was enough to sustain me for that day, 
right? To be like, yep. just for 20 minutes, I'm going to listen to the word. The kids are all in their car seats. Everybody's fine. Nobody's going to die being in the car yep. for 20 minutes. Yeah. And yet I need my spiritual food. I need to eat. And so I'm going to eat in this way. Um, but I, I always am just struck by how blessed we are, that we have so many options. We've done listening yep. to the audio, book, uh, the audio Bible during breakfast. Um, yes. Just so many avenues open to us so that we can get that spiritual sustenance that we need that is the most important thing when it comes to shaping our affections. Right. Yes. Agreed. All of those things. Um, reading Ourselves by Charlotte Mason, and it is a vision for what an ordered heart and what rightly ordering to everything else looks like. So that is a great option. Reading great books, you know, think about exposure, breeding taste. So great thoughts after great minds. This is that that's part of that exposure, getting their thoughts exposed and then into yours. Um, and then we want to say that one of the most helpful things for me in entering um, just this whole tradition and classical education has been Autumn Kearns with the commonplace. And it would be very hard for us to believe that if you're listening to this, that you have not heard of the commonplace podcast. But if you haven't, Autumn does a phenomenal job um, on her YouTube channel, especially she has a whole series of common mom videos where she is walking through these principles. And so we would just highly recommend that if you're listening to even us and you're like, I love what this, what you're saying, but I have, I'm, you know, it just still feels clunky to you maybe because you're hearing some of these things for the first time, we would highly recommend you going and watching um, some of those that are just very helpful and easy to watch in a couple minutes. And, um, but Amanda, do you have anything else that has been very life-giving for you in ordering your heart? I'm just going to list off some things rapid fire, just in case yep. they can Love just that. plant seeds in a person, in, in your mind as a mom, that maybe these are some things that could just order your life a little bit, help you establish priorities, et cetera, to shape those affections. Having a daily rest time in the afternoon has been really good for ordering our affections, having book time, right? Mama gets to read for 30 minutes or an hour. The kids get to look at picture books or read if they're old enough to read for 30 minutes to an hour. It's a beautiful time. Yes. Uh, scheduling or in the Mason world, we might call it timetabling our priorities, right? Make a schedule. If it's important to me, it needs to be on my schedule. And that's one of the greatest ways, easiest ways to get things fit in, right? If I haven't taken the time to look at my whole week, you know, it's the classic fail to plan, plan to fail. So um, that is a great way to schedule what you know is important. Spending time outside in nature, listening to classical music, decorating around the house with beautiful pieces of art that will inspire higher thoughts. And I'll just end on this one. Not viewing the 50 times a day I am quote unquote interrupted to discipline a child, train a child, meet a need, have a heart to heart to not view those things as interruptions, to remember that loving that child is this work. And that just that mentality of, rem of reminding myself that truth again and again, that an ordered heart in this scenario is ordered towards God and people. And so my agenda does not rule as much as I like to make the agenda. I like to make the timetable that does not rule the people and the, the hearts of this home are what matter. And so I think just as a homeschool mom, it is very easy, especially as you get kids up into lesson years to feel this, the urgency of the moment that, oh, but, but I got to get through the lesson plans. I got to get this done or that done. Or even just as a homemaker before your kids are doing lessons, you feel the urgency of, I got to get this laundry done. I got to get dishes. I got to 
prep dinner, whatever it might be. And yet just remembering that however valuable all those things are, and they are valuable, those are good things. And yet I want my heart to be ordered in such a way that I always keep the person and the humans in my life at the center of God first, of course, um, above all those other things. So, yeah. Yeah. I love that. I remember an older mom told me, which was so helpful where, you know, we keep mentioning about older moms, but is that this is your job. Just like what you said, like, this is your job. This is your duty to your family. Um, and that for whatever reason was just so helpful. I mean, just that phrase of now I, I hear myself saying it often when there is an interruption, but is really an opportunity that this is my job right now. This is my job. And for whatever reason, hearing that older mom who was 10 years ahead of me out of the little years, right, could sleep at night and just her perspective was so different for her to be able to look back and say, you won't regret, excuse me, this um, was just so shaping for me as a mom, as a young mom to say, you're right. Like, this is my job. This is my duty. And I'll just reaffirm reading ourselves by Charlotte Mason. That book has been so formational for me because I started reading it last year and I've just been reading it like super slowly, one section, maybe even a couple pages at a time, two, three pages with my devotional Bible reading. And it just blew me away because she takes this image of the kingdom of man's soul, right? That we are a kingdom and that we have to rule our hearts. We have to rule our minds, our bodies. And what does that look like? And she goes into all sorts of things that I just never would have thought of without her wisdom and insight. The first part she starts with is ordering your body. And she talks about things like ordering your hunger, ordering your thirst, ordering your taste, ordering your five senses. And so it's just chock full of so much wisdom. And so if you're sitting here thinking, man, I really want to think about where can I go for some life-giving ideas about how to shape my affections. What do properly ordered affections even look like? Like, I don't even know what a properly ordered sense of justice might be or a properly ordered sense of personal piety might be. Uh, These are things that she really gets into. And though, yes, it is Charlotte Mason. It is that good old Victorian language. It honestly is very easy to understand compared to her other volumes because she wrote it for teenagers. And apparently Victorian teenagers were where modern adults are at. And so we need that book so good. So I definitely just want to reaffirm, get that book, read it. Uh, It will be a huge blessing to your life. And to go with a final Charlotte Mason quote, and I have been reading through, I try to read a little bit of her um, every day. And the curriculum that we use actually um, has a mother's education course that they like send out some things to be reading, which has been really helpful and edifying. But um, I was reminded of the quote that she has of mothers work wonders once they are convinced that wonders are demanded of them. And again, just her view of which she was not a mom, but she had over 50 years of working with children, training teachers um, to be in schools, training them to be in people's homes back in Victorian England. And it's just amazing that her view of motherhood from just watching um, really does call moms to a higher, I mean, it was reading home education two years ago that I feel like as we started this episode saying that I read motherhood books, books about being a parent, books about being a mom, 
but it was really reading through home education that I thought there's something missing from all the things that I've read about being a mom, motherhood, a vision for motherhood, becoming a virtuous mother, a virtuous person. And there was something unique about Charlotte Mason that helped me link the idea of discipleship and habit and heart orientation and what Augustine said about the um, his famous that now is, you know, um, the rightly ordering affections. I mean, that was something that I read him in college and did not put it together until I read Home Education. And I just wonder how many moms, um, Amanda, maybe that was true of you, but how many moms that's the case that they enter the classical tradition and it's just a whole world, like a whole paradigm shift that they're seeing what you mentioned earlier. And I know I keep mentioning it, but it's just a beautiful way to describe it. The harmony that happens that left to itself, it just feels very fragmented and in pieces. Well, motherhood is this amazing thing where we birth a child, but in a sense, we're reborn through that process as we suddenly care so deeply about the world and about our child's life. And I think it awakens things in us that like you said, that wonder working ability and that interest in God's world that suddenly we want to put flesh on our love. We want to make hot meals. We want to decorate. We want to clean the house and make it orderly. We want to wash their clothes, those cute little baby clothes. And, you know, I just remember the excitement I had as a new mom washing my baby's clothes before they were born. And you think like laundry, so humdrum. Not when you love someone. When you love someone, when your affections are for them, everything becomes beautiful. Everything is full of potential and your imagination can run wild. And so just as we're talking about these ideas, I hope that this has started off the moms listening on this opportunity to let their imagination run wild, to think about how can I enflesh love? How can I look around me right now? How can I look at the people that God has given me, right? My unique husband, my unique children, and how can I show them the love of God with the way I order our home and our lives? And I want to end our time together today with this. Exis Chomley was herself trained as a teacher by Charlotte Mason. And she told a story early on about being interviewed. And when Miss Mason asked her why she had come to the college, I have come to learn how to teach, she replied. And then Miss Mason said the phrase that changed my life as it changed hers, my dear. You have come here to learn how to live. Thank you for joining us today as we sought to participate in the great conversation. If you have any questions regarding today's episode, we would love to hear from you at wonderyearspodcast at gmail.com. In addition, we would so appreciate it if you could take a moment to leave us a rating and review. Finally, you can find both of us on Substack. My Substack is titled A Classical Woman and Brooks is A Pilgrim's Way. Brooke is also on Instagram at her handle underscore Brooke Johns. Cheers, friends. Until next time.